All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. believe it tim all right welcome everybody to dropping the gloves i can't believe it's over i i honestly honestly cannot believe it's over flames oilers nobody saw this coming flames dispatched to calgary flames four to one four games to one after the first game it was all oilers every single game and it was all Connor McDavid and Leon Dreinsidel. They put on a clinic that I don't think will ever. Well, I don't see another two players duplicating what these two are doing currently doing. It's it's so impressive. Last night they win in overtime, all thanks to ninety seven and twenty nine. They were unstoppable. Dreinsidel gets four assists. McDavid did he have two or three points? Tim, I, I I think well he had at least two, maybe three. They're they're absolutely unstoppable. They now lead the league. In points, shocker, 26 apiece. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. How many points did Dreinsidel get in this five-game five series? 17, which is a record for the Battle of Alberta. Uh, the next three spots are different battles by uh, Gretzky and then uh, Lanny McDonald's right behind him. But, like, 17 points in five games. Five well, games. With a high ankle sprain, by the way. Like, he, he can barely move out there. He's, like, all shot up with all kinds of stuff, and he's just hobbling out there making plays. It's incredible. It was incredible. Let's break down this game. Again, started good for the Flames. The last two times they were in Calgary, they went up 2-0 right away. Never count out the Oilers. Again, they go up 1-0. Everybody's feeling good. It's, it's a passive game. It's a different game in the first period compared to the first two games in Calgary. There's a little bit more apprehension. They're not ready to let loose, but they did let loose. Oh, did they let loose in the second period right near the end. 1-0. Oilers tied up 1-1. Now I'm not gonna. I'm gonna get to the coach in a second. I'm gonna start on the goaltender. He starts Markstrom again. Played good in the first, mind you. There wasn't a lot of high end chances, but he played good. First period ends zero zero. They're up one nothing. First goal, Darnell Nurse one timer from the point. I think Markstrom should have saved three of these goals last night, and this was the first one. Point from Dreinsidel, a pass from Dreinsidel, excuse me, up to the point. Nurse is crashing down. 
watch Markstrom. I don't, I don't know how many of you go back and watch this after I talk about it, but watch Markstrom. He slides right across the crease. I don't know if he doesn't know where the pass is going. I don't know if he's expecting it to go back door. As a goaltender, you're supposed to track the puck and the trajectory is to the point and he doesn't come out. He goes across and he just slides across the crease and nurse has a wide open net. It's not like nurse picked the corner. It's not like he went bar down post in it's short side, but it's like 10 inches inside the post. And so it's not a great shot from Darnell nurse. It's a bad goaltending play from Markstrom. That's number one play continues. Calgary gets the two, one lead second goal. Yes, it's a three-on-one. I understand that. Hyman comes in, and he just unloads. He's like, I can't make the pass across. It's a good play by Zadorov. He eliminates the high guy because he's so tall, Then he lays down to eliminate the pass across. I don't mind that play. Hyman's left with just a shot. That's how you're supposed to play this. To a T, Zadorov did it perfectly. It's Hyman, then it's Markstrom, and Hyman just shoots it at his shoulder as hard as he can. It should either be deflected off into the corner or he should eat it. It squeaks through him somehow, and Payarvi gets a, a tap and goal. That's my second bad goal for Markstrom. And we'll get to the other ones, but yes. What did you think of this game, Tim? I'm kind of jumping ahead on you. I'm so upset at Markstrom right now. So incredibly upset. But let's just break, break down the beginning, the middle, the end. How did you think this game went for all teams involved? Uh, chaotic would be a good word to describe it. Like you said, they go up 2 nothing earlier. They're at home. They're feeling good. And again, I probably thought watching this game, like, you know, okay, now the Flames, they're at home. They're going to take back the series and, and the better team's going to end up winning. Like it felt, it felt like that. And then, like you said, a couple of, I wouldn't say weak goals by the Oilers, but maybe goals that, that Markstrom should have saved. Great plays by Jai Seidel and a great play by Hyman on that three-on-one. And all of a sudden, you got a tie game and the building's getting real quiet again. And and you can kind of feel that start to happen. You can feel like the the um, I don't know. It felt like a, a palpable nervousness in the flames. Where they're like, ah, oh, this is, it's happening again. It's happening again. And then Hyman scores on that beautiful backhand post, uh, back post goal on the power play there. Which I don't think that's I don't, that's not one of your goals that Markstrom should have saved. Right? It's not. He that that's a yeah. good goal. That that's a that perfectly a great good goal. goal. So it was a back and forth game. I agree with you. Edmonton all of a sudden now has this air about them where they can't be beat. They, they are never out of a game. I, I think this series has done a lot for these guys and their confidence and just their perseverance. You can tell they go down a goal. They go down two goals. Who cares? They keep plugging away. They keep pushing away. They get one. They get two. Bouchard gets a goal. Hyman gets a goal. Payarvi gets a goal. Like They are playing really good hockey. Very, very. The Bouchard goal is great. It goes Keith to Giant Seidel, Giant Seidel back to Bouchard, and it's in the net. And, and the Oilers are fun to watch when they're playing this type of hockey. They're confident, but it all stems from how bad Calgary is. It was incredible how they just abandoned their gameplay. Or maybe I just oversold them during the season. I went back and I did some research. I'm like, did we just not look at Calgary close enough? And they were really dominant in the regular season. I don't, I, I don't know how to explain their collapse in this playoff round, even versus Dallas. They were not the same team they were in the regular season when they rattled off 10, 12 game winning streaks and they were beating all the top teams in the NHL. I thought they were going to be built for the playoffs. Top to bottom, this was a great team. They can beat you any different way. They could not beat 97 and 29. They couldn't do it. They could not overcome how good those two players are. It was... 
gosh, what a letdown if you're a Flames player right now. What an absolute letdown. And what I love about this for Edmonton, too, is that that three-goal swing they had where they go back, they're down 2 nothing, all of a sudden they're up 3-2 to two at the end of the, not the end of the second, but middle of the second period. And other than a secondary assist from Dreisaitl on the power play, none of those goals happened because of Dreisaitl and McDavid. This is like the secondary guys. This was the Puglia, the Hyman, Nugent Hopkins. Like, those are the guys that are, are, are leading that, which I love, because it's not just like – it, it doesn't feel as top-heavy as it has in years past, and I think that's why they're finding success, which is really, really cool for them. I respectfully disagree. I feel like the only goal, Hyman's goal was not because of them. Yeah, or probably Arby's goal. I think Dreinsaddle was a big part of every goal. He gives Nurse that one-time pass. He gives Bouchard the, the pass up top, and then Bayarvi gets the rebound goal. I don't know. I think those two guys are the, are the they they are a huge part of every goal. Then he's a part of McDavid's game winner. Tim, we disagree. It's okay. I, I still don't think their depth scoring is there. I think they're a one line team. They're absolutely a one line team. But let's let's focus on the game. So I do think the Flames got bamboozled a little bit. I, I think they should have won this game. And it goes down to the third period. There's five minutes left, and they get a goal. They get a goal. It's a shot. I think Lindholm let it go of it. Coleman is crashing the net. He's getting tied up with the Edmonton Oilers player. It goes off his skate. Ref calls it a good goal. They review the goal. Mike Smith is up in arms. The Oilers don't know what to think. I thought this was a good goal. I thought they got screwed out of this game, if, if I don't say so bluntly. It, it should have been a goal. I don't see any kicking motion. I think he's stopping. And the part that makes it even more just sickening if he doesn't touch it, the puck still goes in the net. There's no Edmonton player in the area who can get it out with a skate, a stick, a hand, or whatever. Mike Smith is out of the play. That puck is going in the net. It's going to be a goal. They meet the refs. They decide it's a no goal. I think it's a bad call. That has to be a goal. Do you? What do you think of that? Because if they score there, the game's over, most likely. You know, or Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? They pull the goalie. They get an empty netter. I don't know, but... I think that's a goal. That's such a bad play. I don't know why more people aren't talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to disagree with that. I don't know the exact rule. It did look like a kicking motion, but not an intentional one. Like if you're, if your leg does it, but you're not making the choice to kick the puck in, what's the call there? And obviously the refs, I don't know. Did the refs, what, what do you think they saw to make it to call that back the goal back? Like, what, what well, was they see his there? skate stopping. And so he does stop and he pushes his foot maybe in that direction. But it's so fast, and it's such a slight movement. And, yes, when you slow it down, he, like, angles his skate three centimeters this way or, you know, this. It's just so, so incredibly close. I would just have to go with the call on the ice. And the call on the ice was a goal. It should have it stood. And now we should be ready for game six tomorrow night. But we're not. It's too bad. We're moving on. We go to overtime. Everything's good. We're going to overtime. Calgary should come up flying. The OT winner. What did you think about this, Tim? Uh, loved it for McDavid. I love those two combining for a goal like that. Weak goal. It wasn't a hard shot. And not only that, does it go off Markstrom's glove too? Yeah. Does he? It's a terrible goal. Well, hold on. But I will say, and 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 Sidney Crosby is, is well known for not having a hard shot for an NHL player, but he's very deceptive with his release. And that's one of the reasons that he's so successful. And I wonder if something like that happened for McDavid too, where not a hard shot, but something with the way he released it made it hard for Markson to track. 
He, he's far enough out where you can track this puck. It's it's not like he's in so close that you, you can't track it. He's above the hash marks. When he picks this puck up, he's got to turn, take it on his forehand, go all the way around, and and release it. So he, he's not loading into it. He's not like leaning into it. He's got to save this puck. There, there's no traffic in front. He has a defenseman standing beside him. There's no reason Markstrom doesn't make this save. He was, he was terrible all, all series long. Once again, we were talking about it before the show. Another sub-900 save percentage last night. He was so incredibly bad. This whole series, 857 his save percentage was last night. He, was the, he wasn't the reason they lost this game. Well, let me go go back to that OT goal. It wasn't just Markstrom. Hannafin, for whatever reason, throws it up the boards. When you go up the boards, and it's a 50-50 play. As a defenseman, you're told, you're taught, you have it drilled into your head. If it's a 50-50 play between either the winger or the defenseman and the forward, you rip it. You rip it so hard that your forward that you're passing it to doesn't have to handle it. All he has to do is just chip it out. Let it hit your stick, and it goes out into the neutral zone. You don't muffin it. I don't know if he missed it or he just mishandled it. He gave it right to Dreinsidel. Right to Dreinsidel. And then it's just miscommunication. It's complete. No one knows what's going on. Lindholm comes across. Hannafin's going up to uh, Dreinsidel. Lindholm's going to Dreinsidel. McDavid, who is the greatest hockey player to ever lace him up, in a lot of people's opinion, they just let him go. They just let him go. Gaudreau covers his man. Maybe he could have come down and, you know, gave Dreinsidel a little tap just to let him know he's there. Dreinsidel puts it over to McDavid. McDavid has time. This is insane that he has time in overtime when your life is on the line and he just puts it in. And then Markstrom just complete. He's okay. It was so bad. So bad. I want to let's talk about Gaudreau on that play. Um, because he was getting some heat for it. looks like he's kind of floating around. And then when the puck is coming up the board, dry saddle pinches in and you think Kajou sort of skates to him and then lifts off and he doesn't make any contact with him. Doesn't make any sort of play for the puck or the body there. And all of a sudden dry saddle is able to make a play because of that. And we were talking about that, and it looks like Gaudreau like already has his bags packed. And you said, mm, "I disagree." What was your thinking there? I don't mind that. I don't mind that play. He he is his job is his point man. Yes, he's allowed to sag a little bit, but Giant Signal's not a threat to attack. He he's stationary. He's not going anywhere, and he sees the centerman and the defenseman in good position. Hannafin and Lindholm at this point, they're in fine shape. McDavid's still in the corner. Hannafin's got position between him and the net, so that's good. And Lindholm's between Dreinsignal and the net. Everybody's good at this point. But where this play breaks down is Lindholm and Hannafin aren't talking. Hannafin continues following the puck up the boards to Dreinsignal. And so Lindholm, he doesn't know what to do. Should he go underneath him and cover McDavid, or should he continue to go to Dreinsignal? So there's confusion there. Those two should have talked. There should have been some kind of communication, or Lindholm has to see that Hannafin's going and read the play and, and go underneath. So that that's the reason the play broke down. It's not good draw. Yes, Johnny could have, like I said, maybe sagged a little bit, but then Dreinsignal's good enough. He's going to bank it off the boards to his defenseman, and his defenseman's going to tee it up, and they're probably going to score anyways because Markstrom's just a sieve at this point. So, you know, he, he's doing what he's been told to do. He, he played it perfectly. He sagged a little. He's like, all right, you're not going to curl. Because his job as that high point forward – if Dreinsidel does start to walk the top of the circle, that's when he engages. But once he's not in, you know, walking and he's stationary, he can't dive down. Because then you got, well, at that point, you're going to have one, two, three guys 
on Leon Dreinsidel, he's going to go down to McDavid or he's going to go up to the point, and then you're really in trouble. Now you're really scrambling. So uh, the people who are all over Gaudreau don't know what they're talking about. So I don't mind his play there. I don't mind it at all. It's the centerman and it's the defenseman who, who really jerked around that play. All right. The series is over. MVP of the series, obviously McDavid, Dreinsidel. Those guys won it for Edmonton. Here's where I always go at the end of the series. Did Edmonton win this or did Calgary lose this? And I'm going to make a case for Calgary losing this series. And it all starts from their head coach. I have a lot of respect for Sutter. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a good old school fundamentals. He trusts his players. He lets them go out. He puts them in a position to succeed. He doesn't tinker with things too much. Here is my issue with him. Game one, they get the win. His goalie gives up six goals. Not good. Game two, they get the loss. His goalie gives up five goals. Game three, same thing. His goalie gives up four goals. Game four, his goalie gives up five goals. At some point as a head coach, you have to get out of your own way. And pride is a funny thing. I think he he did not want to second-guess guess himself and he did not want to admit that he was wrong. That's, this is what I think happened. Daryl Sutter is a very strong-willed man. He's very prideful, and pride is a dangerous thing. It's very dangerous. It can be a huge asset, or it can be a huge detriment. I think in this series, it was a huge detriment. He did not want to admit that he made a mistake. He wanted to continue coaching his way. He wanted to just, I'm gonna, this, is, this is a Daryl Sutter way. I'm going to, Markstrom was my goalie in the regular season. I'm going to ride him, win, lose, or draw. No, it's like uh, Talladega Knights. If you're not first, you're last. It's like, no, 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 no. You can be second or third or fourth. You don't have to ride the horse that got you here. You have a a very good backup who was a starter in this league for a a few years in Vlader. You could have put him in If, if only for one game, maybe half a period, maybe just get Markstrom out of the limelight for, for a hot minute. Let Vlader go in and play game four or game three. Whatever was happening in Jakob Markstrom's head, he was not the same goalie he was in the regular season. He was bad. He was downright bad. Especially, the worst game was probably the first game when he led in six, and I, I would imagine four of them were just atrocious that he, had, he wished he would have had back. But if you go back and you watch every single goal that Edmonton scored in this series – and I think there was 25 of them. I think they averaged five goals a game. I bet you 15 of them are bad goals that he could have saved or another goal in the NHL would have saved. When you look at the stats around the league, every goalie in the NHL is better than him, numbers-wise. Like Ottinger, Bennington, DeSmith, Vasilevsky, Ranta, Smith, Shashershkin, Connor Ingram, Samsonov, Swayman for Pete's sake. They all have better numbers than he does. It's, it's, gosh, I just feel like Calgary lost a series because Daryl Sutter was too prideful, too stubborn, too set in his own ways to make a change. He didn't juggle the lines. He didn't switch things up. He didn't try to match lines differently than he did from the first game from the drop of the puck. He didn't, he didn't alter his game plan at all. And that's because he's an old school coach. I'm going to do it my way, my way or the highway. And now they're on the highway. They're done. They're out of this they're out of the playoffs. I, I truly believe this group that they have in Calgary could win a Stanley Cup. And Sutter's a great coach. Markstrom had no business being in there in game four. 
None whatsoever. And especially after he, he gives up that first bad goal, you get him out of the net. And then they start him again for game five, and he's terrible in game five. He should never have been in net. Never, ever, ever. If, if he's not in net for game four and five, I truly believe we see a game seven. That, that's my honest opinion. I, I don't think, I don't think we're, we're talking about a 4-1 loss right now. It's and then Edmonton played well. I I don't want to take away what Edmonton did. They took advantage of it. They threw pucks on net. They knew Markstrom was bad, and so they just they fired a ton of rubber his way, and he let in weak goals. And then compound on top of that, Calgary's forwards didn't really show up. Gaudreau just got one goal all series. He scores in the final game. That was his first goal all series long. It's there's a lot of things that went wrong, but it starts at the top for the Calgary Flames, my opinion, and his decision making on who's between the pipes. It's the most important position in the game. It's the most important position. And when he's not at his best, you got, you got to put your backup in. What is Vlader thinking when he's going, oh, my gosh, he must really think I suck. <laughs> like, I don't know what else I have to do. <laughs> he, like Markstrom, yeah. he is literally like an AHL goalie at this point. His stats, his numbers, his positioning, his confidence, everything about him looked off, and I still can't find the net. It's so bad. And this is Sutter being prideful, being stubborn, not wanting to admit that he was wrong, and just the old boys thinking. This guy got me here. I played him all season long. I'm going to ride him. Marty Brodeur, babe. I'm going to start him 82 games in all the playoffs. Jay Woodcroft mentioned it, like I said, a couple episodes ago. It's like, our guy looks fresh. Markstrom, he looks a little tired. And he did. He looked worn. He did not look sharp. Yeah, and and it wasn't just the Markstrom decision, too. Like like you said, we he didn't really jumble the lines or make adjustments throughout the series. And I, maybe I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but can you think of what what he could have done with the lines or matchups to maybe to get something more favorable and work something out that way. We'll move people around like bump to fully up to the first, first line, like bump, bump people around, put Johnny down, like mix it up a little bit. Maybe give Connor McDavid different looks, throw different players at him. It, it, it was not a chess match in Daryl Sutter's mind. He rolled four lines. When you look at the time on ice, even in the, in the deciding game, Everybody's above 15 minutes except for Luch. Everybody's above 15 minutes. That should not be the case. You should ride guys who got you there. Yes, Backlund's got 20 minutes, but he's got a bunch of power play time. Gaudreau's got some power play time. I just don't like how he did his game. He dressed seven defensemen again. I don't like that call. I think you go six defensemen, you go 12 forwards, and then you just put the fourth line out whenever you can. You got the last change. You take advantage of it. He doesn't take advantage of the last change, or he didn't in my mind. And when you got McDavid, Dryden Sutter, you have to be smart. You have to be smart because then you look on the other side. It's like, oh, who played the most? Who played the most for the Oilers? Dryden Sutter got almost 26 minutes last night. 26 minutes. McDavid almost played 27 minutes. He knows where his butter is bred, Woodcroft. He puts those guys out all the time. All the time. Offensive zone faceoff, guess who's going on the ice? Boom, you guys are going. On the back end, who's your best defenseman now? It's Duncan Keith. He's played fantastic this, play, this playoffs. He almost played 26 minutes. Then you look at, oh, Tyson Berry, maybe not as good defensively. He's only playing 17 minutes. He, he manages the game. He knows how to put players in a position to succeed. Where Calgary, it was old school. It's like, okay, we're going to roll them, boys. That's how we're going to play this game. On the back end, four guys play 22 minutes. And then they, they piece together the fourth pairing between Zadorov, Stone, and Goodbranson. And those guys added up to 22 minutes. They just rolled six defensemen. And that's great in the regular season. In the playoffs, you can't do that. You got to play your best players. 
when it comes down to it, when it comes down to brass tacks, we need to win this game. You got, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You have to play. Zach Cassian played two minutes and 40 seconds. I loved it. Perfect. He's got the last change. He's worried about them getting exposed. That's how many minutes you get. Archibald got four minutes. Ryan got seven minutes. Great. I think that's fine. I think that's what playoff hockey is all about. You have to play the players that are going to, you know, give you success. Hyman, Dreinsidel, Kane, McDavid, all of those guys got 22, 23, 26 minutes plus. Yeah. As much as Edmonton played great, I do think Calgary did not put their best foot forward, and that's due to Daryl Sutter. And as much as people want to, you know, give him accolades, he might win the Coach of the Year award. He was the biggest reason why they failed in this playoff series. He got outcoached. He got outcoached. And that's, that's hard to say because he's won a few Stanley Cups. He's been around the block. He's got a big reputation. But a first-time head coach came in and outcoached him throughout the whole series. And now they're golfing. Now they're golfing, Tim. All right. Anything else in this series, or should we move on? No, let's move on to the other one. Oh, I can't believe the Oilers are in the third round. Western Conference Finals. Western if, Conference Finals. If any of those teams were the least likely to advance, I would have picked Edmonton, right? Going we into didn't talk round. about it, though. It's like, okay, they get the Cupcake and the LA Kings. That, they should have swept them for a rip. LA gives them a hard time. Then they get a Flames team that is all out of sorts after just having to get through Dallas, and who knows where their heads are at. And they come in, and they're not the same Flames team they were in the regular season. I'm still not buying the Oilers. I'm buying Dreinsidel and McDavid. Oh, so incredibly good. I, yeah. Avalanche and Oilers is looking like a sexy matchup. I'm excited to watch that because let's get to that. I know we were going to talk about Kane's Rangers, but we talk about Connor McDavid. We talked about Leon Dreinsidel. How good. I know they lost the game. I know they lost in overtime. How good was Nathan McKinnon last night? incredible or two nights ago excuse me he was so good you're a nathan mckinnon guy you love nathan mckinnon i know you do how fun was it watching him two nights ago versus the blues i'm not too proud to admit it uh no i I love nathan mckinnon and and see here's the funny thing when we talk about like the avs getting grouped in we talked about it plenty of times in the show with the teams that haven't figured out haven't found success in the playoffs and they're kind of on the hot seat but nathan mckinnon with a hat trick the other night, and we can talk about that in a minute, but he has now 80 career playoff points and he's tied with Sidney Crosby for the fourth fastest player to ever do it behind Gretzky, Lemieux and Yari Curry. And that is like, that is next level production. That is think of the guy, the great playoff production we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, the Kane, the Tays, the Marshawn's like he's better than those guys in the playoffs. It's incredible. And so, yeah, he was, he's a special player to watch. I do think we, I hope we see that matchup in the next round because I think he'll elevate his game against McDavid. Cause there was a time when we were talking about McKinnon being better than McDavid two, three years ago when he had a huge breakout season and he outscored him. We're like, Oh, this could be a, we don't know who's the best yet. And McDavid has, has won that argument, I think. So McKinnon knows that. And I think he's going to elevate his game to try to prove people that he belongs in that conversation. Yeah, and he was dominant in this game. Like, he, he was all over the ice. His moves were crisp. They were strong. He is so incredibly strong. His third goal was pff, maybe oh, the best silly. goal in the playoffs. So incredibly good. Goes around... One St. Louis forward, like he's just in a turnstile, then just walks right through Nick Letty. Like, and Nick's not a bad defenseman. He's solid. He's fundamentally strong. He's fast. 
and he blows around him like he's just standing still. And then he just, I don't know what Hustle's doing there, but he goes short side shelf. He, it was just an incredible, incredible individual effort. Let's talk about this game. Colorado up 3 nothing. Tim. 3 nothing. end of the second period. This game is over. The crowd's into it. The Avalanche are jacked up. The Blues have no life at all. All of a sudden, they get some life. One goal, two goals, three goals, playing with desperation, playing really good. Darcy Kempfer, can you trust Darcy Kempfer? Did not look that solid in the, in the net for the Avalanche. <sighs> they win in overtime. I never knew Tyler Bozak was still playing, by the way. He gets the <laughs> overtime winner, and I'm like, what? Tyler Bozak, he's still in the league. That's fantastic. Is is are the abs in trouble, or is this just like a one game? Oh, this fun. They go back to St. Louis now. They got some momentum. All of a sudden, Tarasenko looked good. Buchnevich looked good. Robert Thomas looked really good. The Blues have some momentum. Husso maybe gets a little more comfortable in the pipes, even though he did didn't didn't look strong. But maybe he's you know getting back to his game a little bit. Parenko looked pretty solid. All of a sudden, the Blues, it's its game six now. They're like, gosh, if we win this, it's game seven. They're going to be fired up. Avalanche, maybe ooh, a little doubt starts to creep into the back of their head. Are we going to see a game seven in this series? I thought it was going to be over in game five. I thought the Avs were going to roll through them. They're up three rip. No good team, in my mind, loses a 3 nothing lead anywhere in the game. You could be up 3 nothing in the first five minutes. You win that game. They were up three minutes with five minutes left in the second period. St. Louis comes back and wins in overtime. Is there some doubt when Colorado, Tim? Because I don't know, man. Well, I don't know. It's interesting because after the game, Kale McCarr was asked, you know, about their their mindset, their head place, whatever. And he said, like, we're still in a great place. We have two more chances to close it off. We're still feeling pretty good, even though tonight didn't work out, whatever. And so I think I think they still feel good. They they're obviously confident in their abilities and but that was a chance they really you like you said elimination game up three nothing you you can't let that slip through your fingers and now you got to go back to St. Louis and play in one of the probably toughest buildings in the entire league against a team that's got the momentum now they're feeling really good um, and the cool thing about that comeback was it was all actually both both sides all even strength goals no power play goals in that game and so. It wasn't a matter of like discipline or a matter of capitalizing on a chance or the ref swinging things in their favor. It was all even strength. It was all really good. Robert Thomas scored. They pulled the, the their goalie empty net less than a minute left. He scores in the rebound after Tarasenko shot, and it's heading into overtime. And just now, yeah, Avs can't close it out. They got to go to St. Louis, and I don't see that being an easy win. I think we do see a game seven there. Yeah, and we saw a difference with Samuel Gerard not being in the lineup. The game-tying goal, I believe, or it was the goal that made it 3-2. It was a quick pass to Thomas from Buchnevich. Eric Johnson is right there, and he doesn't put a stick on Thomas. He could have easily just moved over a foot and been on his man. And these are the little things. It's it's just a little thing. It's an innocuous – it was a two-on-three rush. Colorado had, you know, men back. Buchnevich goes around the one defenseman. I think it was Bowen Byram. Eric Johnson doesn't slide over, and he just a little drop pass gives him enough room for Robert Thomas to get the puck off, post it in, and all of a sudden the Blues are back in the game. It's three two at that point. These are the little plays. Samuel Gerard would not have made that mistake. He would have been in his hip, and I know Sam Gerard isn't a great defensive player, but he he, he would have been over. I, I know he would have. And now all of a sudden the St. Louis is back in the game. They make it three three. 
And now they're back in the series. So it, these little things, no one talks about. It's like, oh, Bennington went down. Gerard went down. It's a big loss for them. It's a big loss. Eric Johnson is an experienced defenseman. He's a dinosaur. He's a dinosaur in today's game. And they already have a dinosaur in their second pairing in Jack Johnson. So to have two of those guys on your team, not to mention Josh Manson, isn't the most mobile defenseman out there. It might not be good, especially when you're looking past this round. It's like, well, gosh, we got to face Edmonton next. Who are we going to match up versus McDavid and Drysdale? We'll get to that when the time comes. I don't want to get, you know, put the cart in front of the horse, but you put McCarr versus that first line. I don't think so. I think I'm saving McCarr for, you know, to get some offense. I don't want him on his heels all the time. Well, can I trust Jack Johnson and Josh Manson? I don't think so. Can I trust Byram or Johnson, Eric Johnson? I don't think so. Then we start to go like, well, how are we going to take care of this like two-headed beast that Edmonton has? But I don't want to get too far ahead. I do think Colorado takes it in game six. I don't think they played that bad. I think they had a little minor collapse. St. Louis took advantage. They got a little, a little puck luck. And now we're going back to St. Louis. It's a cute story. Colorado is still the vastly better team. I think they were better last night. St. Louis had that spurt and they tied it up. I think they'll jump on the plane. They'll calm down. They'll finish this off. And then we'll be off to a very exciting Western Conference Finals. But boy, it does make you think a little bit about Colorado. If they can give up a 3-0 lead in the playoffs. At home. Five minutes left in the second. At home when everything's going their way. And like you mentioned, no power play or penalty kill. It was all even strength. And St. Louis typically is not strong five on five. Like they, they are a power play heavy team. They, they score most of their, you saw it versus Minnesota. Most of their attack was on the power play. They dominated on the power play. And it was because Minnesota was a terrible, you know, man down a man penalty kill team, but it's, I don't know. I don't know. Colorado, all of a sudden you maybe get that little, well, maybe, maybe I should doubt something. All right. Do a DoorDash ad, Tim. You haven't done one in a while. Fire it off. I never do. I don't even know. If, what's the code? I'll, I'll jump in for the code. You you get in there. All right. Well, I'll tell you, I ordered DoorDash last night, and that's, that is not an ad. I'm not kidding. Uh, I didn't feel like cooking, and I was like, all right, I, I got Thai food. It was great. I fired up my phone, delivered my house. 20 minutes later, it was great. So I would recommend it to anyone who's listening. Give up DoorDash, especially on a Friday night. Week's over. Crack a beer and order DoorDash. You don't need to mix any dinner. I like that. Use promo code GLOVESDDUS if you're in the US of A. Use promo code GLOVESDD if you're in Canada. Be like Tim. We should get a t-shirt. Be like Tim because he uses DoorDash. You should use DoorDash and you can be just like Tim. Promo code GLOVESDDUS if you're in the US of A. GLOVESDD if you're in Canada. You get 25% off and free delivery. Check it out. DoorDash, everybody. Great company. You know they're great because Tim uses them. And that's how you know. All right. Our only playoff series that made it to 2-2. We had a 3-1. We had a 3-1. We had a 3-1. Two of them got finished. One of them's going to 3-2. Only one series is tied 2-2. Carolina Hurricanes, New York Rangers, not 2-2 anymore. Staying true to form, Carolina did not lose at home. They go back to Carolina. Something must be about that home cooking, Tim. They looked great. They looked absolutely great from start to finish. They dominated this game. They controlled every facet of the game. The Rangers didn't look good. I I don't know what happens. It's so bizarre. Even in the Boston series, now in the Rangers series, it's two completely different teams. I don't know if they just, I don't know what happens. The Rangers weren't skating. They weren't hitting. They weren't doing anything. Uh, I think the shots at one point were like 18 to four for the Carolina Hurricanes. They were complete dominating the game. 
They go up one nothing with a shorthanded goal from Trocek. And here, I'll eat some crow here, Tim. Last episode, I said, I don't trust Carolina. I don't trust Trocek. I don't trust Teravinen. I don't trust Aho. I don't trust Svechnikov. I just don't trust these guys. Maybe I don't watch them as much as I should. Maybe they just... I just don't like him. I don't know what it is, but I, I do like him. I think Teravina, I've said it before, he is the best player on Carolina at times. He's such a good player. What a bad trade by Chicago, by the way. That, that'll haunt them for years. Just to unload a Brian Bickle contract, you have to include Tara Teravinen. Oof. And now he's, he's their leading scorer of this playoffs. Moving forward, I'm going to eat some crow. All of the guys that I mentioned that I didn't trust played outstanding. Vincent Trochik played great. He, he controlled the puck. He was dominant at times. He didn't make any mistakes. He should have had two goals, mind you. He had a good wraparound chance. Lafreniere comes back, knocks the net off its moorings. Was he tripped? Was he not? I don't know. It should have been a goal. He gets the first goal on a beautiful pass by Jordan Stahl. Terrible turnover by Jacob Trouba. I don't know what you're doing. You're, you're not Adam Fox. You're not that guy. The power play is almost over. Just get it deep. Like uh, Terrible play. They go back two on one. Stahl feathers it over. Shishin couldn't do anything. One nothing. Trocha scores, but I'll eat some crow. Those guys played well. They played dynamite. Carolina played great, even though it was one one for a period of time. They were controlling all facets. It wasn't an exciting game. Aho had a lot of great A chances. Hit a couple posts. It, it just seemed like the Rangers weren't in it. I, I don't know why. It, what what is it about Carolina that teams go there? And they just stink. They honestly stink. The rink isn't that intimidating to play at. What is it, Tim? It's so interesting because, like, the Rangers win the last two games and, and everyone's talking about the, the momentum has swung and the Rangers are the better team and Carolina just didn't look right. They can't score. They can't score on the power play. And what happened? They go home and they're dominant. It so far swings the other direction. And they score in the power play, by the way, first time in I don't know how long. And they look like a, a totally different team. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And I think they, they could go pretty far just by winning home games. We talked about that. And that's why I think they do win the series. Because I don't see that continuing. And I, well, I don't see that not continuing. And so I don't see game six in New York. You got to think New York wins that, right? Well, Gallant said it after the first game. It was either first or the second game. He gave a, a little press conference, and they asked him if he was nervous. And he said, no, Carolina doesn't win on the road, and so we'll win the next two, and then we'll, we'll hopefully beat him in game seven. That, that, those were his exact words. Hopefully we can beat them in game seven. So he fully anticipated this to go to seven. They're going to go back to Madison Square Gardens. They will win game six just based on not even like that far history. Last week. They, they don't win on the road. So Carolina, I think they go on the road. The Rangers win. They go to Carolina, and we'll, we'll, we will reevaluate game seven. Because I want the Rangers to win. I really do. I, I, for whatever reason, think they will be a better matchup versus Tampa Bay, even though Carolina is such a strong team. They really are. But let's talk about this game. There were some controversial plays in this one, too. Talk about goals being called back. We had the Calgary goal being called back. That could have won the game for Calgary. This was a big play yeah. for New York. They weren't playing well. All of a sudden, Strom gets a goal. I would have made it 2-1 Rangers at this point. It's tied 1-1. There's a turnover at the blue line. The puck's sitting just inside the blue line. Andrew Kopp's trying to come out to make it an onside play. He has to clear the zone. Strom is waiting for Kopp to clear the blue line. Kopp clears it. Strom passes it right across to Kopp, who does a little button hook. In they go. Strom manages to get the puck, fires it in 5-0 on Ranta. Goal, cheering. Everybody's happy for New York. Oh, we're challenging the play. Now, in the in the notes, you you said 
Goal called back, offside, stupid rule. Why do you think this is a stupid rule, Tim? Uh, I hate this rule. And well, first of all, I watched it. I'm like, Ranta should have had that. that that's the goal you got to save. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. And like you said, they're celebrating everyone's arms up. And then they watch it. And there was an offside play uh, before that. And a lot of times, I, I don't like this rule. In this, in this case, it, it makes a little bit more sense because it was directly led to the play. But you could have like a minute and a half of offensive um, possession that had nothing to do with how the goal was scored. And that goal can be called back. And I just... If I could make a rule change, that would be the one. It's like if it doesn't directly lead, if it's a two-on-one on a breakaway or something and the guy goes offside, you call it back. But it just drives me nuts. And I'm a Carolina guy. I'm not, I'm not rooting against the Rangers scoring, but that's just – it drives me nuts that, that those goals can be called back like that. I agree. I, I do think it should have been called off just based on the rules. If you're going to call it, you got to call it. There's no gray area. But I agree. I've had times where – they go back four or five minutes to call off a goal because a play will happen. And on the bench, I was on the bench. They go, that was offside. Just remember that. (laughs) And so the play will go and it'll go back and it'll go back and it'll go back and there'll be a goal. And they'll say, Hey, there was an offside four and a half minutes ago. There hasn't been a whistle yet. And the goal will be called off because like three line changes ago and four zone entries ago, there was an offside that someone missed. And it's like the goal gets called off. You put four and a half minutes back on the clock and away we go. So I agree. I think it's a, it's a silly rule. I think a way to adjust it is if there's an offside, it's almost like throwing a flag in football. You, you let the play finish out and then the coach somehow gets the attention of the linesman if he wants to call it. But if not, you, 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 you live and learn, you, you let it go because there has to be some kind of time frame. This time I think is a, it applies because it led to a direct goal, but just say there's no offside there. I've seen it where the team calls it. Like the Rangers call it on the self, just say Carolina gets the puck and goes scores at the other end. The Rangers could have called that an offside call. So the Rangers call it on themselves saying we were offside. You didn't call it. Carolina went down and scored. So it can go both ways. I've seen it happen. So it's just, it is a very strange rule. It either get, I don't know. Do you get rid of the whole rule? I thought I thought though once once you leave the zone, it resets. No, no, you can. Uh, as far as I know, maybe they changed it. You can just completely call it whenever you want. Maybe they got rid of that rule. I know I've been involved in a game where it's like three minutes, four minutes has gone by, and then they go back and challenge that call. So, wow. I don't know. Something to look into. All right, another. On. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah, just another, we talked about the Truba turnover. Another goal that another play by a Rangers defenseman that I think cost him that goal, and it's not not quite as egregious. But the Svechnikov goal, where the puck is chipped out to center ice, and Fox goes out and makes a play on it, even though he got the, the Svechnikov guy right there, and he does nothing with his body with his positioning to protect himself, goes for the puck. Svechnikov makes a nice little puck. He's a big guy. He's got the long reach. You got to anticipate that. And all of a sudden, Fetnikov's on a breakaway. And I, I think that was another play where the Rangers defenseman could have done a little bit more to set himself up for success there and didn't help just jerking out by giving up a breakaway. You see that Ag- one? Agreed. Yeah, he just body positioned, puck jumps over a stick. What do you, like? Ideally, you, you get your skate behind it or your hand behind it or your body up or you just don't make that play. You don't go towards it. You let the puck come to you and you just play a little more passive. But they're down a goal. They're pressing. They want to get back into the zone and get back on offense and didn't work out for him. You can, how do you get mad at Adam Fox? You know, like you, you can't be like, Oh, don't do that. You want him to be aggressive. You want him to take those chances because for the past two years, he has made that play. 
he has picked up that puck. They have gone back into the zone and they've, they've scored. So he he's a high-end elite talent. You don't want to even question his playmaking ability or his, his thinking out there. But yeah, I said it last show. The only real goal scorer I think the Carolina Hurricanes have is Svechnikov. I think the guy is is an elite goal scorer. He's got a good shot. He uses his body. What a finish. That's an elite finish. It's an elite finish. It takes a lot of chutzpah. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of confidence just to be able to go directly at Shosturskin, forehand, backhand, open the legs, flop it over his stick between his leg. It, it looks easy when you watch it on the replay or watch it in real time. It's like he just slid it between his legs and his legs were wide open. It's so hard to do. It's so incredibly hard to do. I've tried it in men's league. I can't do it in men's league. I, I, I don't know why. You got to just just lift it eight inches high off the ice and then just throw it between. His, it, it's a very, very, very hard, hard move to make. And he just makes it look effortless. Going to game six. All right, let's do our points bet, Tim. We got some games tonight. Well, actually, we don't have any games tonight. Or we do. We got Avalanche Blues. Avalanche Blues. One game. Let's do them and let's do Saturday because we only got two series left. It's amazing. We're almost to the final four here. All right. Avalanche Blues, Tim. In St. Louis, who do you got? Yeah, I got the Blues. I, like I said, I picked this to go seven from the beginning. They're playing at home. They're feeling good after that comeback. It's hard to bet against the Avs, but I like the Blues here in this, oh. in this game. Whoever wins this game wins the series. That's my prediction. So I'm taking Colorado. And maybe wins the Cup. Mm, I know you don't like the blues as much as I do. You know, a lot of teams getting time off in the playoffs is a bad thing. Tampa Bay is sitting there. This is the best thing that could have happened to them. They dispatched Florida in four. They get to lick their wounds. This is the, every other team in the NHL should be very worried. If this were Edmonton sitting around idle, maybe I would be a little nervous. If this were Colorado sitting idle, maybe I would be a little nervous. Tampa Bay, this is exactly what they needed. Braden Point, rehabbing, going to be back in full strength. The defensemen, after that Toronto series, they were worn out. McDonough, Hedman, Chernak, these guys retired. This is the best. They're, they're, just, they're just licking their chops. They're probably still going to have another three, four days off before they get their first round or third round first game in. Oh, we're going to have a three-peat, Tim. Like, it's lining up perfectly for a three-peat. They... Oh, man, it's crazy. Yes. All right. I'm going to take the avalanche and we move to Saturday night. Hurricanes, Rangers. I think we both know our pick. Rangers, right? We're going yep. to seven in the series. There has to be one series that goes to seven games, just, just for the fans. So we're both going Rangers and we're going to go into Monday for a game seven. It's going to be fantastic. Then we're going to start round three, hopefully June 1st. But there's a long way to go before we get there, everybody. So buckle up. Have a good weekend. We'll see you guys on Monday. Go out. Make a difference. Do something good. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.